It is such a joy to be here. Uh, I've known Mike for many years. It's my first time to be here. But I, I need you all to know, uh, Southwinds Church has a great reputation throughout the state of California. Uh, there's just so many positive. Yes, I give yourself great things are happening. And uh, we, though, even me, I'd never been here, but I knew that as, as many others have. Uh, he just mentioned that I'm serving as the chairman of the board of California Baptist University right now. Well, your pastor is serving as the vice chairman of the board uh, of that same university right now, and he'll pr- likely become the chairman in about a year. So uh, those, those are, you know, that's, there's confidence that others have in the leadership of your pastor and of this church that uh, I think you, you should know about. Now, I'm going to get in. Yeah, that's worth a clap. I'm okay with that. Uh, I want to get into uh, Acts chapter 3, which is a part of your Sent series. And uh, this is actually the first uh, miracle by the apostles in the book of Acts. And uh, I have a, you, you know, as I read it many, many times, looking for like, what, what did I think God wanted to say? I'm going to come up with kind of a unique application. There's a miracle that happens to a lame man. And then there is a, a whole crowd of people notice the changes in him. And that causes or gives Peter opportunity to preach the gospel all over again. It's the, his, Peter's second uh, sermon in the book of Acts. And uh, he points to Jesus and he invites people to, you know, it's, you know even though you, did, you uh, crucified him in ignorance, uh, repent and turn to God and times of refreshing will be sent to your soul. So before I give that, and I'm going to focus more on the miracle story than on the message to follow, but uh, I, I want to ask that we would pray ahead of time only because I know me. Uh, here's, here's what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit is real, and I believe my life is busy enough that sometimes I lose track of that. And on a Sunday when you're coming to worship and you'd like to hear what God has to say, sometimes we just have to slow down our heart enough to be able to take it in. So I want to give you just the smallest of time. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Nobody has to pray out loud. I want to give you the smallest of time to pray, and then I'll pray for all of us, then we'll get started. I want you to pray this one prayer. I have one prayer I want you to pray. I want to challenge you to open your heart and say, Lord, speak something to me today from this message that can alter my perspective or that I can use this week. I just want you to ask God for yourself. Lord, say something to me through this message. I'm going to give you a quiet moment. You ask him for yourself, and then I'll ask for all of us. This is your time. Lord, I pray that you will speak to me, and I pray that you will speak through me, and that we will be edified together based on the word of God that points to your son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. And this is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, in all of this, there's a famous statement, at least I'd, I'd say it's famous only maybe if you went to church, where Peter says to this, uh, this lame man who's asking for money, he says, uh, I, I love it out of the King James, silver and gold have I none. By the way, I relate right away. <laughs> you know, I, I live in America and they're taxing the crap out of me. So silver and gold have I none. 
but such as I have, I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. That's just a great, a great phrase. And I, that's kind of the core of what I want to say, because I want to, I want to give this message, even though I'm going to talk mostly on the first point uh, in your outlines. Uh, I want to talk more on, um, on seeing this, what transpires in this whole chapter as a pattern for how we are to be sent out into our everyday life and affect people in ways that they would be coming to faith in Christ or at least coming to visit our church. That's kind of the essence of what I want to say to you. And I think the biggest obstacle to that, so, so let, me, let me say it one more time. I, I believe this passage is an example of, it's not a command per se, but it's an example of a pattern of how you and I, going about our everyday lives, could make a difference outside the church's walls that draws people into the kingdom of God. And the way we do that is, is kind of is how it flows. We touch people in the name of Jesus Christ. We give care and concern and sometimes, in this case, a miracle. And then the community notices the changes in our lives or in others' lives that we touch. And then we are able then to point them to Jesus and invite them to salvation. It's that simple. Touch them in the name of Jesus, point them to the person of Jesus, and then invite them uh, to come into the salvation that Jesus offers. Now, having said that, here's, I want to go back to the, this, this statement, because uh, it's the core of the whole message that I felt as I was prepping. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. I think that many of us don't do much in our everyday lives to expect God or to look for God or to touch people in the name of Christ because we get stuck on the first half of that, uh, that, that statement that Peter gave. Well, I, I don't know what I would give. I, I don't have any silver or money. And you and I could add something that Peter couldn't say. And I'm not really good at miracles. You know, I can't, I've been waving miracles over my money bag and nothing's growing, so I don't want to spread that disease around. I've not seen anybody, you know, necessarily get, get healthier, you know, because some magic thing I did. So I think we get stuck on the negative, uh, stating clearly what it is we don't have to share, so then we're, we just stop. Well, then I don't have anything to share. And, and that's where I think the mistake is made. Because what Peter says is, silver and gold have I none, which is what the guy was asking for. But such as I have, I give to thee. And I want to get us in touch with what we do have that could touch people out in our everyday world in a way that would draw them to the salvation that's found in Christ. And you have to identify what it is you do have because most of us, we, uh, we diminish our ability or what we have to touch people with. And I think that's just a big, big mistake. So, if get right into it. Number one, the first point in my message, and it would be the first point in this pattern, is we need to touch people in the name of Jesus. So let's just read through this and see how it goes. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer about three in the afternoon. So I want you to notice something. We don't know exactly how much later than the day of Pentecost this was. Christ was crucified. He was raised from the dead, and it said he hung around for 40 days, so a month and a half. 
Uh, the day of Pentecost, if, if you take it from crucifixion, some people guess maybe, maybe 50 days. So all, and, and we don't know how long it was after Pentecost. So let's say it's a couple of months, maybe three months. Maybe three months since the death of Christ and the resurrection. Maybe just a few weeks or a few, maybe a month since the, you know, the falling of the Holy Spirit and all of Jerusalem being, uh, you know, people speaking in tongues and all, all just all kind of things that, that Mike went over with you recently. So all during that time frame, while they're in Jerusalem, they're probably, because this is a set thing. This is how they would have done worship in the temple. At three o'clock, if you're uh, dedicated or devoted, you're going to go to the temple. So they've been going for months or, or weeks, however you want to look at it, Every day, into the temple, 3 o'clock, it's time of prayer, and that's what they've been doing. And they're alive with the Spirit right now. We know that since the day of Pentecost. Now, while this is going on, so Peter and John doing normal things, passing normal places, going to a normal place. While this is going on, it says, verse 2, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate. So I want you to notice, crippled from birth, not, not a casual Crippleness. He's never walked. He doesn't know what walking would be like. He has to be carried. So there's a group of people, family, friends, whomever. He can't go to a job. Uh, we don't have time. So we carry him right to this gate where everybody goes in that uh, is going to worship God. And we're going to set him down. And then he's going to beg for money. That's the only way he can stay alive. So now they're saying that from birth, carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So here's another everyday life. Peter and John have their agenda, their everyday life, three o'clock, go by here. Every day for life, forever, this guy is carried in, set right here, and he's there begging all day, hoping to make enough money or get enough money so that he, he can you know, take care. I don't know if he has a family. We don't know about those kind of situations. But it's, he, that's his agenda, and he's there every day. So in a sense, we could step back and say, Peter and John walk by this guy all the time. There he is. He's walking by, and there he is, and walking by, and there he is. Now, if you're like me, if you walk by, like one of the ways that I like to be alone, this is crazy, but I think it meets with, with modern life. I like to be alone by going to Starbucks. <laughs> you see, you're not alone, but there's so many people in there, I'm alone. Uh, I often will get up and um, I, we just moved to a new home, so we have new Starbucks and and so I would, sometimes, you know, they're, they're open at 4.30, and sometimes I'll wake up at 4.30, and so I'm over there by 5, 5.30, and I just walk in, I get my coffee, and I sit down, I set up my computer, and I start, I start studying. It's just a great atmosphere. There's a little buzz, so, and there's enough buzz that I'm really not distracted by any part of the buzz. And there I am. Now, that kind of, you understand, you just zoom in by people, same people, same time, all the time, ignore them. They're, they're like part of the furniture. They're, I don't know, they're part of a painting in the background. There's just atmosphere. That's what's going on here. So I want you to notice that two people are two groups, the, the, the layman and his friends, family carrying him, Peter and Paul. Uh, did I say that right? Peter and John. Peter and John going in all the time. They passed each other a zillion times. Everyday life and then 
Something changes. I believe the Lord just sort of subtly changes the dynamic. Something happens in, in the attentiveness of Peter. Now watch, watch what I mean here. It says, when he saw, this is the lame man, saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That's his job. Alms, alms for the poor. And it says, Peter looked straight at him. I don't know if he, I can just tell you this, the people at Starbucks, I'm not looking straight at them. Hardly any of them. Uh, I have decided I should begin to make relationships with the people at the counter. And so I'm working on learning their name and asking how it's going and complimenting them on being up and about so busily in the morning so that I could be there for my morning coffee. Uh, recently I got there and they said, uh, boy, we were hoping you would show up today. I mean, so I don't know these people well yet. Why? Well, there's a weird guy hanging around, and we would really fit. We, we thought it would be safer if you were there in your corner doing your study thing. The weird guy would not mess with us. So I'm already touching my community. Thank you very much. I doubt they know I'm from Jesus yet, but I am touching my community. But here's what happens. So suddenly, out of, out of months of not doing it, Peter looks straight at the guy as did John. There's something they, no, they noticed him for a change. They paid attention to something that's right in, a person that's right in front of them. And then Peter said, look at us. The, he wanted to close the loop. They're looking, maybe there's something more here. I don't know if they sensed there was something more, but, but they wanted to treat him like a real person. So he's just asking money of everybody not paying attention. They're starting to pay attention, and they say, now look at us. And it says, so the man gave them his attention actually expecting to get something from them. He thought he was going to get something else. Turns out that what he most needed was not money, but a change of heart that came through a touch from Jesus Christ. Often the outward need that people have that you bump into them, and the reason you bump into them, is not really the thing that they most need. See, I, here, here, here's what I think in America. I think most of us think... If I just had more money, I'd be happy. If I just got married, I'd be happy. If I could just have a baby, I'd be happy. And of course, you have that baby for about 14 years. If I could just get rid of this teenager, <laughs> I'd be happy. Of course, the teenager is saying the same thing. If I could just get out of this house, I would be happy. I'm just here to tell you the things that we think would make us happy, it's, it takes more than, and that's what Christ is all about, to fill our hearts with a higher purpose of loving God and letting his love invade our hearts and then loving others as Christ loves us, which is really a very powerful thing. So in this case, Peter looks closes the gap by actually creating. He, it's like he touches his soul. He begins to treat this person as a person, not as just part of the furniture of, of this walk to the, to the temple. And then Peter says this famous thing. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Uh, and I just, uh, I just want to... I want you to think about for a second, and I'm going to tell a couple of stories to kind of prime your pump. You need to identify what it is you do have and offer it to Jesus. 
You see, but I don't have money. Okay. And I can't do miracles. Okay. And some of you are like me, and you'd say, but I, I'm not even a good conversationalist. I, I hate, you know, bringing up a conversation, and then I won't know what to say next. Okay. But what do you have? What do you have that you could offer to the Lord and say, such as I have, Lord, I make it available for you to, do, to, to meet the needs of people around me so I could touch them. First, by touching their soul and recognizing they're an individual person with real needs, and then actually maybe find an avenue where I could really meet a deeper need in them. So I want you to ask, stop. This is kind of almost the message in a, in a one sentence kind of thing. Stop making excuses about what you don't have and identify what you do have and make it available to God and to others. Love the Lord your God. Love others as you love yourself. Make it such as I have, I give to you. And then begin to step out in Jesus' name to do things. Now, so he says... Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you know, be healed, stand up and walk. And I think the guy, and this is, this is life, guys. I think the guy's sitting there going, oh, that's nice. You got any money? <laughs> Have you noticed? Uh, like, I can't work for a job. And those are nice words, but, that, you know, nice thought, but I need money. It, you know, can, can you see this? See, I think sometimes what we say doesn't sink in until we actually reach out and touch. Now, see, they've already touched eye to eye, soul to soul. But it says, after he says it, I think Peter's standing there going, why won't he get up? It's what he's thinking. I just healed him. Why won't he get up? And then it dawns on him. He's never walked in his life. He has no expectation that he could walk. He has no sense that what I just said is real or how it would feel if he did it. I'm going to have to help him a bit. So it says, Peter reaches down, and I'll just read it here. It says, uh, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. See, I think sometimes when we're trying to help people, they don't, they don't know how this spiritual thing would work. And so they actually need a little helping hand to, to make the first steps until they begin to find the strength in themselves to walk on their own. And then it says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And when he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, or walking and leaping, as the King James said, and praising God. Now, I've got a, uh, I've got a dog that I take for a walk. And uh, when, uh, really an athletic dog and, and a pretty good dog. And he, most, he obeys me almost all the time, except when he thinks he discerns a rabbit in the bushes. And when he discerns a rabbit in the bushes, I can say, come here, Reggie, all I want, and he ignores me. But one of the things I love about when he catches that scent or senses the movement, he starts bounding. Before that, he's just... And then when he's, he gets... He starts... He actually bounces. Boing, boing. And you can see the energy and the joy. And it reminds me of, of uh, you know, the old Peanuts. I don't know if you've seen any of those cartoons on TV where Snoopy just does the happy dance. And there's something about that where you just feel free. I remember watching uh, LeBron James when he f finally first won an NBA Finals. And at the end of that game, I don't know if you saw this or have this in your memory. Here's a, what is he, 6'8", 
probably huge. And I and and he's been and he's been called you know the chosen one since for so long. And I watched him just with a smile, jumping and and is waving his arms. And I could just feel the joy. It's finally off of me. I finally achieved the very top of the pinnacle. I finally and I just remember that bounce. I tell you what, when you can give that happy dance going on, it it gets it gets people to pay attention. Now, what does this have to do with our everyday life? Well, he gathered a crowd, and it began to give an opportunity for a witness that came after that. So let me apply, let me, let me just prime the pump here by telling you some stories. So uh, my wife uh, is probably one of the best uh, evangelists without trying to be an evangelist of anybody I've ever known. Uh, she, while I've been preaching or teaching or building churches all these years, she's been a teacher. And she's been a junior high PE teacher, and she's now retired, uh, which is uh, really, I wish she had more to do, get out of my hair, but <laughs> that's only half true. It's only half true. Uh, but before, now I think she had a, the, part of the problem was she, uh, it's like if, if, if you're a pastor, it's, I don't know how it happens, but everybody finds out that you're a pastor. And then if you're a pastor's wife, everybody finds out they're a pastor's wife. And I think they all kind of anticipate, oh, those are the buzzkill kind of people. <laughs> Stay away from them. Don't engage them in conversations. No telling what bad things they'll try to get you to do that I don't want to do. So, like, for instance, I just moved into a new home about uh, three months ago. First time I met my, my next door neighbors, I've never met them. I've never talked to them. They said, oh, so you're a pastor. <laughs> Do I have pastor? To, I mean, what, what is that? that? Word gets out. So my wife lived with that, going to, to school, working, and without ever having to fly a flag or anything, somehow everybody says, with well, oh, that's the pastor's wife. So, so she didn't have to like intentionally tell everybody that she's a Christian. What she intentionally had to do was demonstrate that she is actually an upstanding citizen and not a buzzkill. So she would go about doing her uh, job with excellence, with gregariousness. She's very friendly and very talkative. And uh, over time, she, people would just watch her and watch how wise and together she was and how uh, approachable she was. And never in a crowd, they would, they would come along uh, just by her being a good teacher and a, a, the kind of friend you would want and not pushing Jesus on anybody, but everybody knowing that she was a Christian. One by one, she's had people who would come to her when they're in a crisis or a tragedy or a health issue or a, problems with kids, and they would approach her to either have, them, have her pray for or seek her wisdom. Now, would they do it in a crowd? No, and they would never let you know that they thought that much of her because then you might think that you're a friend of the buzzkill. But by watching, <laughs> they discern there's a difference there. There's a stability. She's got something that would really help my life. So one by one, by just being a great teacher. Now, by the way, I think if you're a teacher and you're a crappy teacher, Jesus doesn't get much glory. Hello? Okay, I run an air conditioning business, you say. Uh, yeah, but the stuff you install breaks down within two years. You run a crappy air conditioning business. Jesus can't get much glory there. You follow me, right? So sometimes I say, well, silver, gold, have I none? What do I have? Well, I have a job. And I have a character. 
And I can put those two together in a way that's winsome. And to where people could come to see that there's something unique there that tr- you can trust her. Uh, if I say something with her, she's not going to spread it all over campus. Anyway, ha- having introduced you to my wife and how she's gone about bringing person after person to church and then eventually to faith in Christ, uh, I'm going to tell you about another story. So one of the students that she ran into was a young man named Adrian, an African-American child, a male. And Adrian, uh, somewhere between 7th and 8th grade, his whole personality changed. And he went from uh, kind of a, a quiet but good kid to just, uh, he couldn't even focus. And all of his grades started following, falling and his sort of radiated uh, kind of a depressive and kind of into himself and started making friends with the wrong crowd. And, and Shirley has just, just one among, as a PE teacher, she had all the kids. So just one among, I don't know, 200 kids. But she noticed, she looked, she paid attention to what was going on in his life. And, and she, she thought to herself, what? What is going on? So she talked to other teachers to find out, what is, is he behaving this way with you? And they would say, yeah, we, we just, I don't know, he just checked out. I guess he's just a troubled kid and he's going to have trouble from here on out. And, but she had known him otherwise and she couldn't... So, so as a teacher, she has access to something that uh, the rest of us don't. And she has access to a student's files if it's their student. You can look back in history as to how this child has done in something of, of their background. So she did that. Now that's all, that's all legal. You're just you're, uh, trying to help any of the students, you have access to that. And th- this young man had obviously fallen into a hole of some kind emotionally. Here's what she found out. Uh, Adrian never really knew his dad. And his mom had died at a previous grade school age uh, of an overdose of drugs. She had been a drug addict and was raising him kind of helter-skelter until she took too much. And he, the child, walked in on his dead mom and he was now orphaned in a society that really doesn't take very good care of orphans and especially of African-American orphans, at least in the inner city of Fresno, where Shirley worked. And uh, that would have been bad enough, but he was able to go to his grandmother's house. And his grandmother was uh, a strong female leader and a, and a godly woman, and things sort of stabilized and, and kept going until in the seventh grade, Adrian came home and walked into his grandmother's room, and she had died, not of drugs, but of age. And he was now orphaned and had nowhere to go. And he was shuffled off to an aunt's house, who we later met, uh, but that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Shuffled off to an aunt's house who was a single mom, two other kids, and, I mean, she was just taking him in out of the goodness of her heart because he had nowhere to go, but... But in the loss of those two key female figures in his life, with no male figures, he just went into this, he just lost himself. He lost his sense of self. So Shirley began thinking about, she's paying attention, and she's thinking, what can I do? So let me tell you some of the things she can't do. Silver and gold, have I none? Well, one of the things she can't do is she can't just start uh, adopting every kid that has a problem. As a teacher, you're, you actually have to keep a certain distance so that you're the teacher of all of the kids and equally involved. 
And there's some, actually some legal things that you could get yourself into if you get too much into the, the nitty-gritty of some kid's life. But uh, she thought her husband probably didn't have that restriction. That's me. <clears throat> now, let's, let me just check something out. Do any of you guys have wives that have a wonderful plan for your life? <laughs> yeah. So my wife comes to me, says, Steve, this kid, and she tells me the story, and it's a heartbreak story. It's like, oh, terrible. She says, would you be willing to be his mentor? I'm thinking, willing? Uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I have no way. I mean, I don't know the kid. I have no reason to know the kid. I, I don't know what I would say to the kid. It's not like he's in, coming to church and we could say we want to do a Bible study. It's like, I don't even know where you would start. So I gave her what all husbands give to their wives when they come up with a plan for their life. Kind of a wishy-washy, well, sure, I'd be willing to, but there's no way I could work it out because I don't know which end of the handle to get hold of. So then she goes to Adrian, and in the middle of a class, or after class, I should say, she pulls him aside and she says, Adrian, I know that you're, you, know, you have certain situations going on right now and you're living with your aunt. Would you like to have a mentor, a male mentor in your life? Uh, would you be open to that? And he just lit up like, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> so Shirley does not have the ability to help him or fix him, does have a husband that she might could manipulate into getting this done, <laughs> and has now secured the willingness of uh, really a lost young man to be mentored. So she comes back to me now. Okay, he's all for it. He wants to do it. So you're in. I said, surely, surely, surely. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, how do you create a, I don't even, I've never met him. Uh, you have to create a relationship. It takes some time. So surely, once again, she knows what she can't do, but she also knows what she does have. What she does have, and we had at that time, we don't now, we had about an acre with two horses on it. She said, we could use the horses that she loved and that I... <laughs> I loved them if she wanted to ride them. I was not excited about me riding them, but she was excited about me riding them. All you guys understand what I'm saying. So she said, we'll use the horses, and since you're not a very good rider and he's never ridden, we'll bring him out of the inner city and we'll, we'll give him horseback riding lessons with you, with a real you know, trainer, and, and that's how you'll begin the relationship. Well, you're kind of, you're kind of screwed at that point because you don't know how to get, you know, what are you going to say? Okay. So I remember driving down into inner city Fresno, meeting his aunt who was kind of, uh, she was hopeful, but frankly, she's probably been disappointed and didn't expect much of suburban kind of guys like me. And she was very, she probably thought this is going to hurt him in the long run because you're not going to stick with it. That's, but she's cordial, and she would like something because she really doesn't have enough bedrooms to go around. So I would pick him up, and we would drive the 20, 25 minutes out to my place. And I, again, now, I'm not a conversationalist. Now, I can drive a car. So silver and gold have I none, and I'm not a conversationalist. But such as I have, I have a car. I give to thee. So I picked him up, and I would ask the, you know, I don't know what you, what you guys think, but I, I may have uh, 
six to ten bullets of conversation starters in my gun. And once I've fired those, that's it. If nobody picks up and starts the, the badminton game with me with the words, it doesn't happen. So, you know, I, mean, I, would, I, would, I would fire them. And I can't tell you how it was just almost a horror to your spirit to have to watch. He was, he couldn't make eye contact. He could not. I'm talking to him and he would look down like he was not even in the room. And I would engage him with a word and he would give those short one word responses and never pick it up from there. Now he had a reason. I I may be a poor conversationalist, but he had more than just poor conversational skills. He was really in a hole. And so I remember there were times we're just taking him, pick, picking him up or taking him back afterwards, just quiet in the car, and I didn't know what to do, and it was agony. But when we got to the horses, things came alive. So Shirley began to buy him cowboy boots and then a hat, and, you know, and we're taking the, and he's a better rider than I am almost immediately. That didn't surprise anybody. And from this, we develop a relationship. Now, I, here's the truth. I don't know that I ever became a great mentor with him. But Shirley was able to use her husband to get to a child that she knew she saw every day and needed help. So he has told her recently, you're like my only mom. Oh, man. Because we, we would all be there together around the horses, so Shirley could be there as long as I'm the quote-unquote mentor and we're not messing up the state of California's rules. And, uh, and then recently, when he had a, a child, by the way, we followed him all the way through high school, and when he had a child, uh, he began to worry about, uh, he said, I felt love for my daughter like I had never really had love for anybody before. And he said, I wanted the best for my daughter. And I asked myself, how would I get that? And he thought of Steve and Shirley. And he moved his daughter and himself from the inner city out to the suburbs of Clovis. I don't know if you can imagine how difficult this would have been. Okay, so you're surrounded by African Americans that all look like me, talk like me, and you move to the suburbs where they're all the wrong color, not yours. And you're going to make it work because you want the best for your daughter. And he's a single parent, by the way. And he wants to get his daughter out of that ghetto stuff that he was surrounded by and get her out. And he came because he had this memory of the healthiest thing that had ever happened to him. Are you with me? Silver and gold I don't have. But what I got, I'm willing to give. I don't even know if it'll work. I feel awkward doing it sometimes, but such as I have, I give. By the way, he and his daughter are making it. And he is so proud. And he is, I'm just here to tell you. So so what am I saying? It's okay to know what you're not good at. But what do you have and what can you use? Let me give you another story. Uh, My pastor, Sean Beatty, who's now pastor of Clovis Hills Community Church. Uh, He's a very gregarious guy, and uh, he's just wonderful to to work with. 
So he, as a part of his lifestyle, he wants to remain healthy and so forth. So he goes to the gym on a pretty regular basis. And his way of slowing down after a workout is to go into the sauna. He loves the sauna time. And you'll go in there and, you know, you're sweating and you're, I don't know if cool down is the right word. I, I don't know about saunas. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But he, he's, he's sure. So he likes it. So he goes in the sauna. And he said, sometimes I'm, it's a great prayer time. It's a great connect time. He said, recently, uh, while I was in the sauna, a, a group of girls, I'd say 20s, in their 20s, came in, three of them, and uh, they began to tell exploits that were uh, racy and not something that a Christian man wants uh, pictures of in his head by the way they're talking and giggling about it all. So he said, uh, I'm in a sauna, it's a public place, anybody could talk, but yelling at people and telling them to shut up, not exactly pastoral or Christian. So he's thinking, what do I have? And he comes up with this. He had been in a band, and, and in fact, he's led worship at our church at times, but that's not his primary responsibility, but he has that aptitude. So it occurs to him that he could also do something out loud and, and to not be offensive, he would just sing hymns. So you're in the sauna with three naughty 20-year-old girls telling naughty stories. And he starts singing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And he just goes from that one to another one to another one. And he said, you don't have to get through too many lines before they calm down and quiet down. And as far as he was concerned, that succeeded in keeping that stuff out of his head. Now, here's the rest of the story. So about a month later, two of those girls came to our church. Why? Because one of them left that experience of telling dirty stories and then hearing this guy start singing, saw, saw, you know, it's like, I don't even know that guy, but that's weird. And so that as she left, <laughs> as she left, she thought, wow, that bothers my conscience. I, I want to be a better person than this. I should be better. How, how could I, I got to break out of these patterns I'm in. I need a church. Now, I don't even know if she could describe she needed Jesus, but she knew she needed something. So she decided from that experience that she was going to go to church. And she talked to one of her friends into going with her because that incident had bothered her conscience. And so she picked a church and she showed up for the first Sunday and it was our church. And uh, Sean was preaching. <laughs> and shortly into the preaching part of the service, she leans over and goes, that is the guy. <laughs> what guy? The guy in the sauna. <laughs> that girl has since come to faith in Jesus Christ. Silver and gold have I none. In fact, I don't have enough dirty stories to keep up with you. But I can sing hymns, and I will. And you just never know how it's going to affect the people around you. Now, it's one thing. Now, here's what Peter does. He uses those touches as opportunities to invite people uh, to, to, uh, to hear about Jesus. First off, and I'll just give you my, my second two points quickly. Uh, he points people to the person of Jesus. 
It says, when Peter saw this, he said to him, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And the very first thing he does is he points away from himself and he points him to Jesus. In fact, in verse 16, I don't know if the guys in the back could find this one, but in verse 16 it says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. So he points to Jesus. And here's the reason this is so important. If we're not careful... People will just think you're a nice person, not a Christian. They won't understand the motivation by which you try to live higher than you would if you were not a follower of Christ. So at some point, we've got to make sure they don't think we're all that in a bag of chips, but that Jesus is changing us in a significant way that we would get involved with a young black man or sing a hymn in a sauna or whatever it would be in your neighborhood or in your situation. And uh, I guess the one thing I would say, my wife, because she was a pastor's wife, didn't have to go around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But I, I would say this, I think those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to start flying our Jesus flag a little bit without condemning. There should be no condemnation, but there should be a positive affirmation that we're followers of Christ. Not that it affects anybody or that I expect anybody else to be that way, but if you fly your Jesus flag early, it's easier later for you to invite them to come to church with you. And then Peter does this. He invites the people to salvation in Jesus. In verse 19, he says this. He says to the crowd, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. So he actually asks them to repent. Do you know what repent means? It means change your mind. It means draw God back into your consciousness. And begin to, even as that one young 20-something gal that got saved at our church, just recognizing, i got to live differently somehow. That's a repentant kind of attitude. And turning to God, in her case, I don't know if she could fully understand God or knew where to find God, but she knew a church would be a good place to start looking. And that is, in fact, where she found him. Now, I would say this. In the early days of Clovis Hills, we decided that we wanted to be a church not for other Christians, but for people who did not yet know Christ. And so for the first 10 years or so of our church, we did everything necessary to repel Christians and to invite non-Christians. Here's what I thought. I thought there were already lots of great churches for, for people who want a Baptist church and already lots of great churches for people who want a Catholic church and the community didn't need another one of those. But what it didn't have at that time was a great church for people who hated going to church. You say, well, that's kind of a small market. I mean, if they hate going to your church, how are you going to turn them around? I wasn't sure how we were to do that, but that's who we were going to be. And in that first 10 years, we baptized about 1,000 adults. What does it take? Well, you have to touch them. You have to love them. You have to care about them in spite of the fact that their lives are still messed up and they do things that are offensive to Christians. And you touch them and then you point them to Jesus as being a possible difference. And then I just trained my early the early attenders at our church, don't worry about trying to convince them or sell them 
I said, stop selling Jesus. Don't, don't do that. But invite him to your church where you've found benefit. And say, maybe you'll find hope there too. And let Pastor Mike do the heavy lifting. All I can tell you is the very first church service we ever had, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to have a larger church than I'd had. I'd started several churches, and this one I, I wanted to be a little bit bigger and not get small, not stay small. And so I put a little thing in the, in the program the very first Sunday that we're a church with no people. So I need stuff, people to, willing to do stuff right away. So we had a little insert where people could sign up to do ministries in the church. Help in the children's ministry, pass out brochures, sing in the, in, in the band, or, or whatever. We just created a bunch of stuff and invited people at a church they'd never been to and a church that only held one, that one service. And we probably had 100 people sign up to help in volunteer ways. I would estimate half of them didn't know Jesus. Now we had a problem. <laughs> How do you let a person who doesn't know Jesus teach Sunday school? That's not today's sermon, but we found an answer. They didn't teach, but they were with the person who taught. And I had, over the next year and a half, I think we baptized every one of the volunteers who didn't know Jesus because they kept coming and kept listening to the message and it sunk in until they saw the beauty of Jesus and how Jesus can bring refreshment to your soul. Now, what have I tried to say today? I think there's a pattern. You and I are called to touch people out in our everyday lives. That's going to require us to notice them as people and to say to Jesus, Jesus, here's a bunch of things I don't have. Don't have money, don't have personality, you know, can't keep up a conversation, and I can't do miracles. But such as I have Jesus, I'm not sure how it's going to work yet, I make available to you. I want to be a conduit of your love to people in whatever practical way they're willing to, to receive. Help me find the people who are open to you that you've made ready at this time. And then as you create the relationship of touching their soul and then helping them get on their feet, whether it's spiritually or financially or however you're helping, you point them to Jesus and you invite them to his salvation, which could be as simple as, Come check out the hope I found at Southwinds Church. Let the gospel do its work. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the messages that actually draw us to you and draw us into service of you by learning to look around ourselves and then touch the people that you put right in front of us by noticing who's open and who's not and making available to you, Lord, the things we can do, even though there's a lot of things we can't do. And then, Lord, may we point them to you, and may we invite them to your salvation. And I pray that this will grow here at Southwinds even more so in the coming years than it has in the past, and may the blessings of God continue. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.